Hello and welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. This is episode 18. It will be a brief solo podcast episode. This is another subject that I wrote down a few weeks ago that I have wanted to touch on. And as I shared in the last episode, I have not felt well for the last couple of weeks. And right now I'm dealing largely with just an ear infection and severe fatigue. So I've tried to do this one twice now and it did not work out. And I've scrapped both recordings of it because my head is so dense. And so this one is going to be about truth at some point becoming adversarial or a threat to the discussion. And after thinking for the last couple of hours, I have just deleted the previous episodes that I recorded. And so I'm not going to give any specific examples of this because our culture has largely become so polarized on issues that, in my opinion, should not be polarizing at all. The point of this is to ask the question of how did we get here? How did the pursuit of truth become polarizing? It used to be a noble a noble endeavor. So in my younger days as a, as a child... I grew up where, at least in my world, my religious culture, I grew up, as I've said before, in a conservative Baptist circle. And and, and I know that that instantly probably stereotypes or puts an image in a lot of people's head. I did not grow up in an unpleasant religious setting. I grew up in a very open religious setting where questions were encouraged. People were more than welcome to question the Bible, their faith, Jesus, any of it. And I did that in spades for many, many years. I've never had a problem being a question, you know, questioning things, being a skeptic, doubting things, because I know that the truth will withstand questions. And personally, I think it is one of God's greatest gifts to man to give us a mind that is capable of critical thought and a journey in the direction of the truth, because ultimately I think God wants us to know it. But since we don't have a rule book that comes with life, and we don't have all the answers, I mean, fortune cookies are great, but I've rarely pulled deep truth for life from a fortune cookie. We have to find it. It's a journey that we take. And we all take it. And it used to be something that was a noble endeavor. And I'm old enough. I'm not that old. I'm only 52. But I remember a time when it was encouraged to ask questions. That was what universities did. That's what schools did, is they fostered questions and doubts because that is your student. As a teacher, that would indicate to you that this is a child who's seeking to learn. And you get the blessing of coaching that child along to learn how to find their answers, how to go about finding reliable sources, how to take observation, to take evidence, to take the preponderance of what you have before you and take your best shot at finding an answer, but being willing to change when you discover that you don't have the whole answer or perhaps what you think is wrong but being willing to change with that and not living in a fixed position. So what I want to achieve with this one is simply to pose the question, are we okay with allowing ourselves and people around us to pursue the truth 
and this dovetails a little bit with the the episode I just recorded about treating each other with grace and kindness as we move through our day. And that is something that I have seen become a casualty in a lot of our daily interactions with each other is the absence of kindness and grace an unwillingness a lot of times to stand in somebody's shoes and understand perhaps why something happened that our initial off-the-cuff, perhaps even angry reaction at first could be dead wrong. And it simply could be our failure to stand in somebody's shoes and understand that the motive we attach to something is dead wrong. And it may have nothing to do with that. And we can assign intention and purpose to something that somebody did not do intentionally or did not intend that and certainly didn't do it on purpose with the intent to irritate us, to wrong us, those sort of things. So this this all began back when I was in seminary and I would have been, I started that in my late 20s and I finished it in my 30s. It took me a while to finish at a couple of different schools in different geographies, different parts of the country, just because that's the way life was happening. I was moving around to different parts of the country. And I remember in the school I finished up, there was actually in both of them. One was very liberal. One was very conservative. And I saw that I, I enjoyed that. I liked that contrast. Neither one of them jeopardized what I believed, but I enjoyed being challenged from different perspectives uh, from people. It did not rip my soul out. It did not threaten me. I enjoy I enjoy being challenged on what I believe as long as it is a civil discussion. When it's condescending, I, 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 I want nothing to do with it. When it. When it lacks grace or kindness... There's no point to it. At that point, it's just thuggery. But I noticed when I was pursuing my master's degree that there was a lot of discussion of the postmodern generation. And it stood out to me that this is something that was coming as it was being presented to me, that everything would be questioned. All truth would be questioned. And that always struck me as unusual, that we would be discussing something that would be coming, a huge cultural shift, supposedly, that would be taking place. But it hadn't. So my immediate question was, if you can see this coming and predict accurately that that is what our culture will become, how do you predict something like that with such specificity unless you are helping bring it into being? And that would make me question, do you have the best interests of the people of this nation at heart? Or are you part of an organization that maybe is seeking to bring in questioning everything. It's a random thing that I'm not going to flesh out here because my head is way too dense right now with my ear infection. But to me, it's unusual that you would describe a monumental shift in culture and how truth is perceived when in fact it has not happened yet. And unless you are helping facilitate bringing that in, you would not be able to accurately attach that to generations that would still be decades away, or at least a decade away from fruition. So that started making me wonder sometimes. That's where my eyes started opening a whole lot that I can be deceived. 
and it's often uh, deception doesn't come as some big uh, red and white banner that screams I'm deception. It typically looks like legit or it looks like something else. It's a facade, a wolf in sheep's clothing, so to speak, or at least that's been my experience. It isn't, hey, I'm a lie and here I am. It kind of it's seductive and it draws you in and then you think it's your idea that this deception was something you came to by uh, preponderance of the evidence, then it's very tricky that way. Or at least that's how I've noticed it take root in my own life over the years. And even the book I wrote, I mean, I put a disclaimer in the front that everything I have in that book is subject to a change. Um, I completely, I, I may completely jettison notions in it, it's a snapshot in time, and that is why I have books on my hard drive that I have never published. I have no problem writing them, but I'm I'm very apprehensive about publishing anything anymore because with the absence of grace and kindness, people will use that to bludgeon you, and how dare you have a difference of opinion as if catching you at a certain age, what you had to say then is something you view as absolutely concrete and it is a universal truth is enough to keep me from doing anything more than having those books on my hard drives because I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with the harshness of an absence of grace and kindness. When you write that down, that it becomes a club that people can beat you with later even though you can say that that was then and this is now and this is what I've learned. And even what I know now is, in fact, subject to change as my understanding develops, as my maturity continues. So back to truth. I have watched over the last 15 years or so where those who question a narrative or not the narrative, but a narrative Regardless of the field of endeavor, whether it be religious or scientific, whether it be cultural, instantly people who question seem to be the enemy. It's as if what we believe is unchallengeable, that we have, a, we have attained a spot where we have absolutely every bit of knowledge and truth about every subject that we will ever achieve as a people, as individuals. And it doesn't matter. I'm not going to use specific examples because, again, I did in my previous two shots at making this episode, but I realized I can't do that without it even coming across as inflammatory, even though I have old examples to use. So in our dealings with each other, I want to ask you, the listener, are you in a place where you allow for the fact that you could be deceived? Do you sit in a lofty position that you are the keeper of all knowledge and truth, which would, by nature, make it make the statement that you are you cannot be deceived? I think those are questions that we need to be willing to ask ourselves. For me, it is not a threatening statement for me to say I am among the deceived. To me, it is liberating. Because I don't know everything. In fact, I don't know much. I don't have the answers to stuff, but I do have observations. And as I make more and more observations, the, di the, the dynamic shifts. My understanding changes. 
And I've experienced this with men. This is nonspecific. Men's issues in general don't exist. So I have been working with men for about eight years, specifically with men. I shifted out of working with kids into men. And in those eight years, the number of patterns of things that are issues facing men these days are stark. They are obvious. They are they are they are predictable. They're so abundant that they are predictable. I have watched them over and over and over in a host of settings, not just in the context of a men's group, not just in the context of my job sites, but in courtrooms over years. I have watched man after man cycled through a court system. I can predict the flow of the narrative and what's going to happen to that man. And I watched it and my heart would break with every single one of them because they were speechless and feeling helpless as if nobody could see it. And people will tell me that those issues don't exist. Our culture reflects that those issues don't exist. Well, here, I'll give one quick example. This is a specific example, and I don't think this will be too inflammatory. In my book, I reference, and I think I did this in one of the episodes, is the the presence or the existence of a driver in men's lives who are isolated. That I was unaware of. It was observation over the years, the, the revelation of that pattern over time is what showed me that one common thread laced through the bulk of isolated men was that there was a driver, a trusted individual in their lives who was in fact driving that isolation, driving them toward isolation. That did not exist before I started working with men. I did not see that observation showed me that. Now that will be inflammatory to probably a fair number of individuals, but it is real. I observed it. I observed it countless countless times in many men, hundreds of men. It was not imaginary. It is not imaginary. It is real. And in my opinion, it needs to be discussed because it is a real influence in part of what is undoing men in this culture. And until it is allowed to be real, acknowledged, and at least addressed, I'm not saying I have the answers as I claimed in the book. I don't have the answers, but I do have observations. And I am willing to let the observations and the evidence develop the reality. If I had the answers, I would have just wrote the answers in the book. But I didn't because I don't have them. I have only observations and hopefully with this podcast, I can bring those issues into the light of day and put them on the table. Let other men tell their stories so that you can see that these are real three-dimensional stories that are a lot like your story. And that you aren't crazy for seeing this in your own life. And other men are not crazy for seeing this in their own lives. I have been blessed to be in a place where I can see that pattern. And they are observable fact. But as we move through our life and we engage each other, hopefully inserting grace and kindness instead of anger and rage and frustration, 
short tempers, judgmental attitudes, thinking that we know somebody when we don't, and being able to step back and say, I don't know everything. And you may not even, you know, before you honk that horn, before you get pissed off on the road, before you bark at that person behind the counter, before you mistreat somebody, before you blow up on them or dump truck on them for something that they've only thrown a tiny little pebble onto the load and then you dump the whole truck on them for that little tiny thing that we would remember we don't know everything and we can be deceived. But the time for people, for us to be upset because somebody questions the narrative, whether it's scientific, religious, cultural, which I guess men's issues would fall under that cultural umbrella. It is time for that to come to a close. Because the more we are opposed to people questioning the narrative, if we will allow them the grace to, the grace to pursue the truth, to question what we believe dogmatically we have a firm grip on, We have to remember not everybody is in the same place that we are. In fact, most of the people you bump into are not going to be in the same place that you are. They did not travel the same journey that you did. They did not have the same experiences you did. They traveled a different road with different experiences, with different things that shaped who they are. And you don't know Jack about that. And a lot of that will influence how we treat each other as fellow men. It will influence how we treat women around us. It will treat how we respect each other as fellow countrymen. If you are a man listening to this and you are threatened by somebody who questions the narrative and you are so dogmatic about something that you believe to be absolute fact and the reason that you know it's absolute fact is because you have been told that it's absolute fact and a lot of people believe that like you, That in itself does not establish something as absolute fact. The evidence, the preponderance of the evidence will point you in the direction of the truth. Being dogmatic about something does not make it true. There have been a lot of misguided things throughout our culture that people are dogmatic about that are patently false. That does not seem like news to me. But as I look across our culture and how we rip and we tear at each other, whether it's for political things, cultural things, religious things, or scientific things, to me, it is not an emotional argument. What does the evidence suggest? And we have to be aware that that evidence may change over time. The evidence may not, but perhaps our ability to understand it in its full context does change. And that it should not be threatening to us as a people, but it has become threatening to us as a people. And that is a great way for people who are smarter than us or more deceptive than us to play us like a fiddle and to continue to divide us as a nation of people, as fellow countrymen. I'm not doing this subject justice because of the brain fog I have from the ear infection. But I'm hoping that you will understand at least some sense of what I'm trying to say that encourage the people around you. You yourself, pursue the truth. Do not swallow a narrative because A, 
that's what you're being told. And B, a lot of other people think that. And they are convinced that it must be fact because other people agree with them. That in itself is a circular logic that I'm not even going to go into right now. It has no basis, no foundation in truth. So with that said, I'm going to cut this one off. I've got another interview coming in just a few minutes, and I want to be ready for that. But anyway, but it's time to stop being afraid of pursuing the truth. And we need to stop demonizing people who are. And we need to treat people with grace and kindness. And the pursuit of the truth should be a wide open path. And what we believe should be able to withstand scrutiny. It should not be threatened by somebody asking questions of it. That, to me, sounds like a student who is looking to find answers. And when somebody is willing to chase down and figure out why they believe what they believe, they tend to not be dogmatic. And they tend to be, they tend to have grace and kindness because they had a journey to get to what they know. When we don't have a journey to get to what we know and we just dogmatically hold it because we feel insecure and threatened by people who challenge what we believe or what we contend in our culture, nothing changes and the tox- the, the culture becomes more and more toxic over time. And I will elaborate on this down the road when I have a clear head and when I have more time to sort of flesh it out, I will come back to this subject. But for right now, we'll leave it as it is, even if it's confusing. I don't care. I'll come back to it one day. All right. Well, that'll wrap up episode 18. I wish you the best for the rest of this day, and I will catch you on the next one.